happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's so good to see you. I hope you had a great holiday and I'm excited that we're gonna continue to celebrate together this weekend. Now, I just wanna take like 30 seconds right now and I, and I wanna poll you uh, just to find out some of your favorite Thanksgiving kind of preferences, right? So you just vote by putting up your, your hand. Here, here's the first question. Um, what do you wear to Thanksgiving dinner, right? How many of you are nice outfit people? <laughs> like three of you, that's great. How many of you are comfy pants for lots of eating? That's my people right there, that's right. The, the nice looking people, you have better pictures than we do, but it just, it interferes with turkey consumption, right? We're not, I'm not down with that. Uh, here's the next one, stovetop stuffing, good idea. How many of you think that's a good idea, stovetop? How many of you, bad idea, bad idea? Wow, okay. You think it should come from the, um, that's awkward. I don't even wanna, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Let's go to dessert, let's go to dessert. How many of you are ice cream people with your dessert? Ice cream, ice cream. How many of you are whipped cream? How many of you are both, right? Yeah, let's put the ice cream on the whipped cream on the dessert, that's fantastic. Uh, And last one, last one is this, post turkey nap, yes? Yeah, that's right. How, no, how many of you say no? As long as you don't nap during the next few minutes, I'm okay with either one of those answers. That's, that's great. Hey, before we begin to, I do need to address one other thing. Last weekend, um, Mike uh, made several Canadian jokes and, uh, um, and I, just feel, I just feel I need to tell you a couple things. One is, is I'm okay with it. I'm thick skinned, right? I, I can handle that. But word got back to my people and, uh, and, and yeah, and this has started to happen. They're building a wall, people, they're building a wall. And uh, I don't know who's paying for it, but I know whose fault it is, and it's Mike's. And so that's just, that's just what's happening. And uh, yeah, that's, that's real, that's real right there. Uh, we are, we're continuing on in our series called The Journey, and we don't have time to recap everything that we've done so far, but if you've missed any of the weeks, or if this is your very first time, we would encourage you to go online and you can catch up on where we've been in this series. But we're following the journey of a guy named Abraham. And, and this guy, Abraham, as we've discovered, he was far from perfect, but he trusted God in in some crazy, crazy ways. And as a result, God did some amazing things in Abraham's life. And what we're discovering, what we're learning from Abraham's journey of faith is some lessons that we can apply to our lives that will help us in our journey as well. Now, Thanksgiving here at Hope for the past few years has become a very unique and a very special service for us. And so I'm excited that you're here. We have so much to be thankful for as a church, don't we? And, and the greatest, I think the greatest thing for us to be thankful for is the way in which God is moving in and, and changing the lives of people here at Hope, whether that's through our, our weekends, right? And, and there's all kinds of the experiences at all of our different campuses that people's lives are being changed through. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, it's through the ministry that you're serving in. For some, maybe it's the small group that you're connected to, or maybe it's the impact that we're having in the triangle and around the world. Either way, God is doing some radical, radical things in people's lives. And today we're going to take a a few minutes. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the journey of several people whose lives have been changed by God um, that are part of hope. And and hopefully for us, as we get a chance to listen to some of their stories, it's going to help us to reflect on the, the countless ways that we should be thankful for what God is doing in our lives on our journey as well. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. And if you don't, that's okay. You can uh, download our app if you want. We've got an app that has notes and stuff in it or or you can follow along on the side screens. We'll have uh, passages up there as well. Genesis 17, beginning of verse one, says this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase 
your numbers. God promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of, of many people, right? That he was going to have a nation that was going to be created through him. But Abraham, as we, as we just read here, is 99 years old. His wife, Sarah, is 90 years old. The problem is there's no child in sight. They have no offspring, right, for this nation to come from, for these many peoples to, to come from. They were apparently past the, the normal age for having children. You, you think, right? Like even in the Old Testament, right? They're like 99, a little old, God. Like I'm not sure what you're, what you're doing with this. It would clearly have to be a miracle of God for them to get pregnant. And so here we go again, right? Here's Abraham trusting in God, believing that God is going to fulfill the promise that he has given Abraham. And in this, we see that God says, I'm going to make a covenant, Abraham, between, between me and you. And Mike's gonna talk more about this covenant in a few weeks, and so I'm not gonna talk too much about it, but I, I do wanna just kinda, just kinda define it for us. A, a covenant really is an agreement between two parties. Now, there's two kinds of covenants, right? There's a, a conditional and an unconditional covenant. A conditional covenant is an agreement where two people, right, two different parties, they both agree and, and they, uh, they come up with certain conditions and, and it's binding for both of them to fulfill it. If one of them, if one of them doesn't fulfill their part of the covenant, then, then neither has to fulfill the, the covenant and, and, and they just kind of go on from there. That's a conditional covenant, but there's also an unconditional covenant. The unconditional covenant is an agreement between two parties, but really only one of the two parties has to do something. Nothing is required of the other party. See, the covenant that God made with Abraham is an unconditional covenant. God made promises to Abraham that required absolutely nothing of Abraham. God said, it's all, it's all on me. I'm the one that's making this promise. I'm the one that's going to deliver Abraham. You just need to, to come along for the ride, foreshadowing our, our relationship with God through Jesus. Genesis 17, verse five says this, no longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, Abraham's name was originally Abram, which means that the father is exalted. We, we've been calling him Abraham throughout this whole series because we just didn't want, we didn't want to make it any more confusing than maybe it already was. But now his name officially is changed to Abraham. And God, or Mike told us last week that, that that name means that the father of a multitude. It could also be translated owner of a minivan or you will not ever have nice things, right? Either way, it kind of goes, goes with that because Abraham's gonna have all of these kids in his life. And so God changes Abraham's name to prepare him for what he's going to do. But did you see what it said in that verse? Uh, God said this, for I have made you a father of many nations. There's still no son yet, right? But God is already making this promise, this declaration that it's going to happen. And so we see from Abraham that he gets a, an upgrade in his name. Not just Abraham, though. Sarah does as well. His wife, in verse 15, it says, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Now, Sarai, which meant quarrelsome, now becomes Sarah, which means princess. And we see why in verse 16, God says, I will bless her. And will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. See, maybe even, maybe even bigger than the name change for Sarah is, is the change that she is moving from childless, which is how she's introduced to us in Genesis chapter 11, to now giving birth to a son. And from that son is going to come a nation and is going to come kings 
including God himself. See, here's the point. These names that are given to Abraham and Sarah are given to them by God himself. When, when God is involved in your life, everything, everything changes. It can't, be, it can't be the same. When you start a relationship with God, everything changes in your life. If nothing changes, then you didn't really start a relationship with Jesus, right? With Jesus, the regular becomes amazing. Jesus' first miracle he was a guest at a wedding, and, uh, and it said that they ran out of wine, which was a big deal in that culture. And so the, the, the bride and the groom and their families, they would have become social outcasts for running out of wine at the wedding. And Jesus' very first miracle is that he turned water into wine. But the Bible gives us a little bit of a descriptor in there that, that takes it up a level. Is that not only did he turn water into wine, but, but he made it the most, the, the most delicious wine they had ever tasted, the best wine. See, when God gets involved, nothing Nothing stays the same in our lives, and that's a good thing. With Jesus, the ordinary becomes the extraordinary. See, this name change was symbolic of their, their new identities in God. When you encounter Jesus, you become new. Now, your name may not change, but your identity does. So you move from being a creation of God to a, a child of God. We move from being full of, of uh, sin and, and full of shame to being forgiven and, and free. We move from being alone to being adopted. But God doesn't stop there with the name change, right? God's covenant with Abraham, although it's unconditional, he still wanted Abraham to have a, a sign and he wanted him to put some skin in the game. And so Genesis 17 verse nine says this, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. See, to show that they were changed, God chose circumcision. Uh, I know some of you are, 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 you're not sure if you should laugh or, or pass out right now, right? As you're hearing this, it's like, are we really talking about this on Thanksgiving? We are, because um, that's, where, that's where this landed. Now, guys, how many of you remember, right? How many of you remember growing up and, and, uh, and hearing that phrase from someone that was stronger than you, like, take it like a man, right? When, when you were in, in that phase of life where maybe you were a little afraid to do something, you needed to be coerced into it. Maybe it was at the doctor's office to get a shot and your dad would say, son, just take it like a man. Or maybe it was a, your older brother when you lost a bet and now you had to pay up, right? And then maybe your brother would say, just take it like a man. Maybe it was when you had to kiss your grandma who has a, a mustache, right? Just take it, take it like a man, right? Whatever, whatever it, it was, I think it started this day in, in history. God used circumcision as his way to identify his people. Can you imagine, right, when God says this to Abraham? Abraham, the sign, the sign of our covenant is going to be circumcision. I wonder if Abraham was like, yes, this is awesome, right? I am so excited, circumcision. God, thank you so much. Okay, God, one quick question. What exactly is circumcision? At which point when God answered Abraham, I think the tone quickly changed, right? To, huh? Right? Like, like, say what? Like, well, hold, hold on, hold on. Are you messing with me, God? Like, come on here, right? Like, this doesn't seem fair. Noah got a rainbow, right? How come I'm getting, I'm getting this? Like, this isn't, this isn't right. 
And I wonder how God came up with this, right? Like, was this him on his own or was this like a, a Trinity kind of thing? Like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit on a whiteboard, like drawing, like, well, maybe they could shave their head. No, anybody can do that, right? That's not a big deal. Or maybe we can make them ask for directions when they get lost. No, they'll never do that, right? That's not, that's not an option. I have an idea. Yeah, that, that'll get their attention. Yeah, that's, that, that would work. I guarantee this past Thursday, as people were sitting at their Thanksgiving tables and going around saying all the things they were thankful for, this never came up, right? Anywhere, anywhere in, in America was anyone thankful for this. Verse 23, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. That must have been the most incredible motivational speech right, in, in the history of the world for Abraham to convince these guys to do this. Mike pointed out last week, Abraham's obedience in this. It says, on that very day, when God told him to do it, Abraham obeyed. Simply put, circumcision, this was their ID card, right? This was their form of identification. I don't know how they showed it or how often they showed it, but, but that's, that's I, I don't know why God chose it, but that's what God chose. Now, fast forward, fast forward a few thousand years, right, to Jesus' era, and circumcision is still a part of life. You're able to tell the Jew, right, a descendant from Abraham apart from the Gentiles. And, and even post-Jesus era, in, in, in the Apostle Paul's time, Apostle Paul, who's a Jew himself, he talks about circumcision. But as he teaches about it, he moves it a little bit north of the belt to the, to the heart. Look what he said in Colossians 2.11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. See, circumcision is still a part of God's unconditional covenant. That through Jesus, God says, I've done everything for you. This is a one-sided deal, including cutting away your sin and replacing it with my son. See, God's dream isn't something that we chase after on this journey. God's dream is something that we, we become. Simply put, God wants to remove our sin. He wants to cut away our shame and our guilt and our mistakes. And instead, he gives us a new identity and he wants to make us into the image of his son, Jesus. In such a, a way that I'm new, in such a way that I'm, I'm different, in such a way that my life is now attractive to others. Colossians 3.10 says this, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. See, when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you, when you trust that he is God, that through his death and, and resurrection that we are forgiven of our sins, that through repentance and through faith, that we're restored in a relationship with God. When we do this, everything in our lives changes. Our identity changes and we're marked to live in a new way. I want you to hear and I want us to celebrate together today some of the stories of people from hope that God has, has changed their lives in incredible ways and how they're different as a result. The first two stories are, are two people that I've had the privilege to serve with. I, I love both of them very much. And, and I, love, uh, I love not only what God is doing in their lives, but the way that they're responding to it. Will you turn your attention to the side screens and watch Mercedes and Dave's stories? I grew up um, everywhere. The, one of the earliest memories I have is um, 
my father and my mom um, uh, yelling at each other, and my dad threw a lot of plates, and um, I remember just being so numb to everything and just sitting and watching Dora because it was so normal for me. My mom took my little brother and I away from my father. We moved up to North Carolina and um, my mom found a really, really good job and we were able to move into our own apartment. Um, my grandfather started visiting our house a lot more and for about two months, um, um, he molested me and my mom was very aware of it because I had told her multiple times. Everything was falling down around me. And for a while I thought, oh, my mom's not doing anything about this, so this must be okay, this must be fine. But I always knew in my heart this isn't okay. And I made the decision at that point to move out with my father and stepmother to Colorado. My father and stepmother were very physically abusive. So for three years, I just lived in terror. When you're that age and you don't have anyone to count on or to protect you, you feel so alone and your self-worth just decreases infinitely because you start thinking, oh, I'm not worth being protected. I'm not worth having people to count on. One summer, my little brother came up to visit and he had seen what they did to me. Um, said to me one day, you know, Sadie, you don't deserve this. And it was the first time in three years I had heard of that. And they let me go. They let me come back to North Carolina. Everything really started turning around was when I started attending Hope. After God encountered me at Pulse, he just really reminded me how loved I am and how through everything, he never left me, not once. And I just, I rededicated my life to him. And now my family situation has improved immensely. I actually um, met Zoe at a high school ministry event and she and I connected instantly. So um, her mom wanted to meet me and she asked me my story. And part of my story was the situation I was living in. And she prayed about it. Their whole family prayed about it. And she came back to me a couple days later and said, Mercedes, I want to extend my house and my family to you. We really believe that God wants you to be with us. We're in the process of adoption right now. I am so awestruck to have a family that I'd always dreamed of. It feels more amazing than I can even put into words. Growing up in Milwaukee, um, I was very religious. Pretty much went to mass every day and served as an altar boy. I felt like I had a very close relationship with God. 10 or 11 years old, um, a real good friend of mine got leukemia. It took his life when I was in eighth grade. I didn't understand why God would let this happen. I really started to rebel, I think, against the church and really rebel against God. I decided that I wanted to join the military. In hindsight, <laughs> it goes back to some of this trauma um, and not wanting to be vulnerable and wanting to be able to be in a situation and be able to control it. I had really turned away from God at this point. It was you know, 10 years away from 
being in Catholic school, and I didn't start wrestling with the things that I'd done until I was kind of on the other side of it as a medevac pilot. And it was kind of like seeing the results of things that I had done in the infantry. I felt like God really wouldn't accept me because of things that I'd done. I got out of the military in 2008. My wife, she always wanted me to go to church with her, and I fought her about it. I was like, you can't go to church. You want to ruin our marriage? <laughs> you know, if you go to church, you're going to grow away from me. I don't respect it. I don't value it. I don't think it's the place for me. And she, she kept at it, and uh, a friend invited us to Hope. I remember walking in that day and just being like, wow, this is... This is not a Catholic Mass going on here. This is very, very different. I really like the message, and, you know, people are friendly, and we saw something for starting point. We signed up, and uh, God really showed up. Through starting point, through the message, you know, through prayer, he's changed me from being a very alpha, very type A, to let some of that stuff go. So I decided to get baptized. I don't think it's anything magical or you know it's more like an announcement to me like it felt awesome so i started um as a high school ministry small group leader last year it's nice to be able to see that you have some sort of impact and can partner with with the parents and it was awesome to know that god never walked away from me when i walked away from god is absolutely incredible Both of their stories center around their identity. For Mercedes, who's going through the process of, of adoption, the Bible, not only for her, the Bible teaches us that everyone who surrenders their life to Jesus, that we are adopted into God's family, that we are, are, are children of God. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Dave said, God never walked away from me even when I walked away from God. So that's the incredible part about God is he, he accepts us no matter what we've done no matter where we've been, no matter what list of things that you bring in today that, that maybe make you feel like you're not acceptable to God. Jesus purchased your freedom. Why? Because he wanted to and because it says that it brought him great pleasure. See, we love helping those that we love, don't we? Well, so does, so does God. So the question for us then is how thankful are we for this love that God has shown to us through his son, Jesus? I want you to turn again to the side screens and I want you to, uh, to watch Lisa's story. My husband and I, we had three beautiful kids, two boys and one girl, and we thought we were done. And then God gave us the gift of one more. And that was Jonah. He was born on April 2nd, 2009. Jonah was about six months old and had gone upstairs. It was a usual day. And when I went to peek in on him in his crib, he was laying there lifeless. 
immediately ran downstairs to my husband and just Jonah's not breathing. He's not breathing. He tried to resuscitate. And I just remember praying, God, please give us our baby back. Time stops for no one. But in that moment, it felt like time had stopped because a part of us was no more. We had to gather ourselves and explain to our other children, all of our children are gifts, and God had taken Jonah home when he calls one to come home. We have to be ready and willing to give him back. You don't expect to do that. You don't expect to have to have that conversation, but I was very thankful in that moment. My parents had raised me to always know the Lord because if I didn't know him, if I hadn't known him, I would not have had the hope that was necessary to get through that time. I gave a sermon at his funeral and I told him that while he was doing God's work in heaven, we would be doing it here. And for the first time, I really feel like I'm gonna be doing God's work by going on this trip to India. I've prayed on this trip and the more I pray, the more I just hear there are souls for the lost that, that need to be hearing the Lord's word. They need Jesus, and I'm excited to share how good the God we, we serve really is. My husband and I both felt like there's one more here. We're supposed to have one more, and so God gave us a beautiful baby boy, and I can't imagine life without him. And if Jonah was here, then our little Samuel would not be here. face of indescribable pain and hurt and loss. You need to know that there's hope. You may be in the middle of a storm right now. Maybe you've just come out of one. Maybe you see one coming at you quickly. I want you to know that there's hope. That God never wastes a hurt in our lives. I can't answer the why question for you, but I can answer the who. The who cares for you, who is with you, who can turn the bad into good. Romans 8, 28. God promised this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, God doesn't cause bad. He doesn't cause our problems. He doesn't cause pain. God promises, though, to work through it and to turn it into something good in our lives. God has never stopped loving you, and he's promised that he will never leave you alone in the middle of that storm. In fact, your greatest ministry in life will most likely come out of your greatest hurt in life. We've seen it in the life of Abraham. We've, we've seen it in Lisa's life and he'll do it in yours too. I love how Lisa has chosen not to dwell in her pain, but to trust God, to use her and to use her story to help someone else. The question I think for us this weekend is what bad in your life can God use for good? And you know, it might not quite be there yet, but, but eventually, right, we can get to that place where we can actually thank God for the things that, that he's done because of the ways in which he's worked through us. 
Please turn your attention to the side screens and, uh, and watch Rick's story. I had a very good family, good parents, and we went to church actually most of the time. I don't think I really understood Christianity or who was Jesus. In fact, that was one of the questions that I struggled with as a, as a young adult, was trying to get an answer to who was Jesus and what did it have to do with me. I didn't get answers for whatever reason through the Christians that I met. So I explored uh, other faith systems. But ultimately it's like the, they also had big gaping holes in them and, and they just didn't reconcile with kind of the way things were. It's like, you know, if we're gonna put our whole life around a worldview, certainly we want it to be true. We don't wanna get to the end of our lives and then realize it's not. So that was for me, I think, what was most important. And then I remember specifically one day I came home from a trip and Marianne, my wife, she announced that she was a Christian. And I remember my reaction was like, oh no, you know, hoping maybe this was a phase that would just pass. I had this notion that you had to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. So I would go to, to church and I uh, would sit there kind of with my arms folded going, eh, I'm not buying that. Over the course of about nine months, it just became more and more convincing, I guess. And, and I started to understand more about who Jesus was, which is what I, I never got, you know, and who he was. And through that and a variety of things, I became a Christian and received him as Lord and Savior. Man, why did it take me till I was 35 to see this? You know, maybe it's because now I have like, I can relate to people who were where I was. And there's a lot of people that, you know, are searching. So we moved then to North Carolina, looked at a lot of good churches, but again, we're drawn to hope just because of the, the openness for those kind of seekers or people who are exploring Christianity. I do have like a heartfelt for the people that are, you know, truly searching and struggling with that. So I uh, first uh, began getting involved through Starting Point. It's a great class for exploration and where doubt's okay and, and kind of all questions can be on the table. And uh, one of the women had said, man, I want to believe, but it's like, oh, I can't trust. I was like, why is that? And she, she talked about her family life, which was like, she, I couldn't trust my parents. And so I didn't have an answer for her really because I didn't come from that environment. But through her sincerity, through her pursuit of God, God actually reached into her and it wasn't, but a couple weeks later, she received Christ. Amazing, just oh, to see that firsthand. And she asked me to baptize her, which was like a, just a real honor. But the neat part too is this difficulty that she had with her, her family was that there's reconciliation already beginning to take place within a month. And that's just amazing to see. I don't know that I can go back before a starting point in the sense that that helped coalesce my calling to help people who are seeking. When I think about the future, I, I don't know what it holds, but almost certain that it's gonna be involved with some sort of outreach to people who are seeking God. Rick wrestled with what I would call an intellectual roadblock. Um, it's nothing that I've ever had to struggle with um, in my life, but, but Rick did. And, and if you're in that place where you're confused, you're looking for, for answers, you're searching for truth in your life, you've heard a few people mention a starting point in, in, their, uh, in their stories. 
A starting point is a nine-week class that we offer for those that are, are, are curious about God, for those that maybe have just started a new relationship with God, or maybe, maybe you've just come back to the church and you've been away for a while. It's a place where you can go and, and get questions answered, a place where you can discover what does it look like, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus, to put my trust in him, to follow him with my life. But it's more than just a class, it's also a place to connect, a, a place to connect with God and to connect with others afterwards. And so in January, uh, that next class, uh, next starting point class is starting up, and maybe for some of you, that's your next step, is to commit and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to that. And I'm gonna investigate and I'm gonna lean into this relationship with God and see what it's all about. Because if God truly loves me that much, then, then I, I wanna respond to that. For many of us here, many of us that call hope home, we, we've already made that decision, right? You know what it means to accept the grace of Jesus. You know what it means to have a relationship with God in your life. The question maybe that we need to wrestle with this, this Thanksgiving is, is who in your life is searching? Who in your life needs what, what you have already discovered, what you've already found? The incredible part is in just a few weeks, Christmas is, is coming. And it's an amazing opportunity, an easy opportunity for us to in, invite those people in our lives and, and to, for them to be introduced to the hope of a relationship that's found with our loving God through Jesus. One last story that we wanna share with you today. It's uh, Lori's story. Will you watch Lori's story? My name is Lori Holton. I grew up in um, New York State. You know, I grew up with having everybody around and lots of support. So when I moved to North Carolina, it was um, kind of a rough start to not know anybody or, you know, I grew up with having everybody around and lots of support. Um, so that was kind of lonely. Initially, I just came to Hope. Um, I came to the services every week. And of course, they talk a lot about, you know, serving others and getting more involved because it is a large church. So it's actually my son. He initially said, hey, I want to serve. Let's go see what we can do. And we found our way to Kid City. My favorite thing about serving in Kid City is to see the faith that these young girls already have, just how they profess it and acknowledge it and just are growing in Christ and for me to be able to share that with them and lead them in that journey. So at the beginning of the year, probably around February, my doctor called and said that a test came back abnormal. I did find out that I had cervical cancer. When I was given that diagnosis, it was, it was shocking. You never expect it to happen to you. And so to hear the words cancer, I, I don't even think I could say it at that time. But you wrestle with so many different feelings. I really didn't know what the outcome was gonna be and um, I didn't know who to reach out to or what to do. Yeah, you just, you think I wanna keep living. You know, there's so much more I wanna see my kids do and I don't know what the, the future brings. I was serving in Kid City at the time, and I really didn't know whether to share my story with these young girls or not. And so I had reached out to the parents and told them and asked for permission to tell the girls my story, and they all agreed. And so that was really scary, actually, to share this story with them because I didn't want to scare them. I didn't want to frighten them. But the moment that I shared, they lifted me up in prayer. They lifted me up by telling me how much they loved me and how confident they were that God had me. And their faith was so, so strong, they believed that I was going to be okay and that God was going to heal me. And there was no doubt in their minds. Every week they would check in with me, how are you doing, how are you feeling, is it gone, is the cancer gone yet? They 
would pray for me during, you know, and I was used to praying for them and every single one of them would say, we want to pray for you. What a powerful testament to me that these young girls, they had a faith so strong. I was like, how can I not feel the same thing and believe it too? I just found out a few weeks ago, I had a scan and that I am cancer free now. I was able to share my story with the girls and um, I had said, I have some news for you. And of course they were all excited because they thought they knew what it was. And um, the moment that I told them, they like jumped on me and were hugging me and just, it was just an incredible moment to be able to say to them, you're right, you were right all along, God healed me. I shared my story with them in the hopes that it will help all of them someday um, through any struggles that they may have, that they can reach out to God and know that He'll be there and that He's in control. You know, I just wanted to make sure that they knew whenever you're scared, trust in that faith, trust in God, and I hope that they can carry that with them throughout the rest of their lives. I've, I've just grown so much in my faith. You know, I think there's a strength, an inner strength to me that I didn't have before. The confidence that I have now um, is a lot different than when I first started this journey. And I have such a peace about life now. Um, whatever, whatever God's plan is, I'm, I will be able to accept it. Lori's story shows us the importance of community, right? That we weren't created to do life alone. And whatever your struggle is, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever your needs are this weekend, I want you to know a couple things. One is that, that God knows and God loves you and cares about you, and so do we. And we want you to be a part of a family. We want you to be a, a part of this family because we have so much to be thankful for as a family. The temptation now, right, the Thanksgiving is kind of over is to move on. Many of us have already put up our Christmas trees. We went Black Friday shopping on Tuesday, right? I mean, we've already, like, we've already kind of dove headlong into the next holiday, and then it's easy for us to forget. And we know that this isn't just a once-a-year kind of thing that we do. But that's the piece where we need to now, right, stop and reflect. And so let me just give you two things to do. Just What if you just carved out a few minutes this weekend, right? This week before we get into the Christmas stuff. And, and here's the first thing that I want you to do. Just two markers of thankful people. One is to celebrate all the good that has happened in your life this past year. What if you just took a few moments, right? Because I know in my life I can get so caught up in the what I want to do and what I need to do that I forget what God has already done in my life. And I forget to thank him for that. What if you just spent a few minutes tonight, this week, right? And, and just made a list of things that you are thankful for. And then the second thing is this, is you say thank you. Maybe you write a note to someone, maybe you post it on their wall, maybe, maybe you actually face-to-face -face tell somebody that, that you, you thank them. The, the quickest way to find joy in our lives is to express, express thanks. See, the thing that we should be most grateful for is our relationship with Jesus. Because of Jesus, everything in our lives has changed just like we've seen in, in the life of, of Abraham so far in his journey, our status before God is changed, our identity is changed, and our eternity is changed. And what happens as a result of that is that, that we're marked differently. Our hearts are marked and our lives are marked to live in a way that shows everyone around us who God is and what he has done in our lives. We have so much, so much to be thankful for. Will you bow your heads with me? In just a minute, we're gonna, we're gonna sing one more song. The band's gonna come back out. But as we, as we close, I, I, just wanna, I just want us to, to just be thankful to God, just for a minute, for a couple of things. 
I want you just to thank him for your new identity in Jesus. I want you to thank him for healing your diseases, physical and, and emotional. I want you to thank him for forgiving your sins. Thank him for his love and his compassion in your life. Thank him for the community that you have around you, family and friends that support you and love you. And now thank him for the cross on which Jesus shed his precious blood and makes all of this possible for us. Father, we thank you. God, I can't help but think of, of Paul's, Paul's prayer in Philippians 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. God, there are 10,000 reasons for us to thank you for who you are and what you have done in our lives. Father, I thank you for the stories of life change that we heard here today. I thank you for the countless other stories that are in this room and, and every other room at all of our campuses watching. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. God, may you continue to work in us. Will you make us a church that is quick to respond in thankfulness to you, quick to respond to the opportunities that you provide for us to make a difference and to make an impact in the lives of people in our community. And God, may we live in a way that passionately lives out the mission that you've called us to. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen.